frequently I will have someone come up and tell me that they're a doctor and can I do anything? So I actually had one person say they're a doctor and, uh, and, and I asked what kind of doctor and they said, well, I have a PhD in philosophy. Said, well, that doesn't do me any good. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. From the Federal Resources Studio, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Just about everyone finds there are the official rules in EMS, and then there are the unwritten rules. They're often more helpful to know than the stuff you learn in class. For those EMTs or medics who are new on the job and want to jump on these real-world rules, my guest today wrote a column for Firehouse.com about just that. Gary Ludwig has four decades of experience in the fire service, and he's currently chief of the Champaign, Illinois Fire Department. He's responded to an estimated 25,000 fire rescue and EMS calls during his career. And Gary Ludwig joins me now. Welcome back to Code 3, Chief. Well, thank you, Scott. It's an honor to be with you today. It's great to have you. So these rules fall into the category of not taught at medic school. How long does it take to learn them out in the field? Oh, well, so I would suspect some will learn them on the first day, and some will learn, learn them on the uh, 40th decade. Sometimes it, is, it has to be a matter of experience, and sometimes it's a matter of drawing conclusions and deductions based upon your experiences. Now, we're going to go through these, but I have to point out that while they sound like they're a little tongue-in-cheek, they're actually real-world rules, right? Absolutely. I actually, quite frankly, Scott, I could come up with a whole lot more, but, you know, they kind of limit me to about 800 words in my firehouse column. So, so uh, you know, there's only seven there, but I actually got done recently doing a class in Nashville at Firehouse Expo on uh, 45 nuggets or 45 unwritten rules uh, that you might find in EMS. So in that case, I had 45 there. And uh, but this is just kind of limited to seven. So we're just scratching the surface here. Absolutely. These are mine that I've just kind of generated, but I, I'm sure that your listening audience will be a variety of different people out there. They can also provide their unwritten rules in EMS. Well, let's get started. Rule number one, the louder the child screams, the less sick or hurt they are. And inversely, the quieter they are, the more you should be worried. You know, it's been my experience over the years that we react to the child who screams the loudest and we increase our anxiety and we become more panicky based upon louder the child screams. In reality, if you think about it, you know, they're pretty conscious, they're pretty alert, 
they're moving air pretty uh, pretty good back and forth, the fact that they could scream. And so the fact that they're conscious, alert, moving air would tell you that they might be in some pain, but at the same time, uh, they're in pretty good shape. The ones that I have learned to be concerned about are the ones that are quiet, the ones that don't cry, the ones that are pretty listless, the ones that are uh, somewhat lethargic, the ones that really are just the quietest. And those are the ones that you really should be concerned about. All right. Rule number two, you should always be suspicious of the person who shows up on the scene and announces that they're a doctor. Yeah. So we have lots of people out there who are always willing to help and willing to step forward in a medical emergency. And and frequently, I will have someone come up and tell me that they're a doctor and can I do anything? And, you know, the second question I ask, well, what kind of doctor are you? And um, If they're a dentist, you know, it could be a problem. That could be a problem or a PhD in philosophy. So I actually had one person say they're a doctor, and, uh, and, and I asked what kind of doctor, and they said, well, I have a PhD in philosophy. Said, well, that doesn't do me any good. But the other part is, is that you have to be concerned with, again, if they are an MD, a medical doctor, a physician, you know, what, what is their level of experience? You know, are they a, are they a dermatologist? Are they a podiatrist? You know, what level of expertise do they have that they can assist you? Now, they tell me they're, they're, they're qualified in emergency medicine, they're board certified in emergency medicine or thoracic surgery or something like that. Hey, are, they're a cardiologist or something like that. Hey, man, um, I welcome your expertise. But at the same time, you also have to make sure you're following your local medical protocols because Many doctors will have protocols in place that if a physician tries to intervene on a scene, there's certain procedures that they have to do in order to, in order to uh, intervene on a scene, including up to and including a lot of times taking uh, and going along with the patient to the hospital. Hmm. All right, rule number three, individuals being arrested often suddenly and conveniently develop an illness. Yeah, this has been a phenomenon that I have witnessed countless times before that we call Miranda Angina. And it's someone who suddenly finds themselves under arrest, and then all of a sudden the anxiety kicks in. They might start hyperventilating. Uh, they actually might start developing chest pain. And so I call this Miranda Angina. It's that individual who finally suddenly gets themselves, finds themselves in a position where they're getting their Miranda rights read to them because they're under arrest. You know, that's Miranda rights, being they have the right to remain silent and that sort of stuff. Usually when they develop this Miranda angina, then the officer has to react to it. And, and so they ask the arrestee, do they want to go to the hospital? And almost 100% of the time, certainly they want to go to the hospital. If they had the choice of going to the hospital, going to jail, almost 100% of the time they choose to go to uh, the hospital. Right, because anything that delays them going to jail is just fine with them. Absolutely. I'll be back with more right after this. When that call comes in and you rush to head out, the last thing you're thinking about is your safety. But your safety is all Federal Resources thinks about. At Federal Resources, we work to make sure that every responder is equipped, trained, and ready to come home safely. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. All right. Rule number four, 
Per the rule of threes, any call that occurs at 3 a.m. will be on the third floor without an elevator, and the patient will weigh more than 300 pounds. Yeah, I discovered this one early on in my career in St. Louis. And one of those days that we just ran all day long, as soon as I would lay my head down on the pillow, the tones would go off, and we're going on another call. And I was exhausted, and I'll be darned if I didn't lay my head, my, my head down on the pillow. And it wasn't but two or three minutes, and the tones go off, and I think we're going to the 4100 block of Russell in South St. Louis, and I'll never forget it. Dead of the, dead of the night, uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, you could hear a pin drop on the street, and when we get there, step off the apparatus, and there's a there's a lady hanging out the third floor window screaming, bring the bed up. And so we go up three floors, and there's uh, someone in excess of 300 pounds. Of course, you have to bring them down on the stretcher or stair chair. So that's when I first noticed this phenomena. Uh, it's always going to be at 3 a.m. It's on the third floor, and they weigh in excess of 300 pounds. And so... I've seen that repeatedly throughout my career, and uh, we can, we can, you know, we there are some variations that they might be on the second floor and 300 pounds, and it might be at one in the morning or whatever. But it it always seems to play out that it's those rules of three, three in the morning, 300 pounds on the third floor. <laughs> All right, rule number five is to know the importance of the golden five minutes. Now we've all heard of the golden hour. But what is the golden five minutes and how is it an issue? Well, there are some people in our profession, what I like to call the minute people. And uh, that (laughs) means they show up at the last minute before shift change. And I've actually seen that before where you're going out the door uh, one or two minutes before your shift change, your relief isn't there. And as you're going down the street, you're looking out the windshield of your apparatus and there they come driving up the opposite direction in their car. They're just coming to work. And so I, I've coined this phrase, the golden five minutes. These are the five minutes just before shift change that uh, your leaf hasn't shown up, and then in- inevitably you're going to get a call. Here's my rule. Early is on time. On time is late, and being late is inexcusable. So that is my practice. So I think you should be there at least an hour before your shift change so that you can relieve the person. Because they probably have things they have to do. They might have to pick the kids from school, drop them off at school. They might have to be at some other job that they have. I think it's courteous that you show up at least an hour before your shift change, and you should be able to check your equipment during that hour. And I think the person who's relieving you should also show that courtesy. They should show up an hour ahead of time and allow you to get off on time so you can get home and take care of business and go to the other job. So, so as I like to say that, uh, showing up early is on time, showing up on time is late, and showing up late is inexcusable. Got it. All right, rule number six. You should always leave the door open in any house or an apartment that you're in, regardless of the nature of the call. Now, this sounds like a safety issue. It is a safety issue. I've seen you know, a lot of scenes that have gone bad inside the home. And usually sometimes tensions are high, anxiety is high with family members. Things might not go well inside. Usually, you know, the person might be somewhat combative. The family might get irritated at something you asked or something you did. So if you have to make a quick exit, getting to a closed door just delays your exit. So as a rule of thumb, seasoned veterans will tell you it's best to leave the door open. 
so that if you have to get out, that that's one less obstacle you're going to have um, that's trying to open the door, which usually is going to open towards you. It's not going to open outward. It's going to open towards you. Now, the you know, the, obviously the storm door usually typically opens outwards. So it's okay to leave the storm door closed, but that, that uh, interior, usually wooden or metal door, that should always be left open so that if you have to exit, you have a quick egress point to get out. And uh, again, your safety is always of paramount importance, and we want to make sure that, that you're not trapped inside a house trying to open a door when somebody's uh, right on your heel. Right. And rule number seven, the final rule, is not really funny at all. When your patient tells you they're going to die, you need to be listening to them. Yeah, this is the unfortunate side of our profession is that there are people that no matter what we do, that we will, they will die, no matter what intervention we have. So it's been a phenomenon. If you talk to a lot of medical providers, they'll be able to tell you that uh, when someone tells you they feel like they're going to die or they feel like, you know, um, you know that they're an impending doom, you need to listen to them because there's a good chance that it may happen. And so you need to be prepared, you know, with your interventions and whatever you need to do. But don't just shrug somebody off that they're going through some drama or some other situation like that. It's imperative that you listen to your patient, no matter when they talk about dying or whatever issue else they're talking about. It's imperative that you listen to your patient, what they're saying, and especially if they tell you they feel like they're going to die or they have impending doom that you need to heed those words because there's a good chance that may happen. Well, those seven rules just scratch the surface, as you said earlier, but they're a good place to start. Gary Ludwig, always good to have you on Code 3. It's always been my pleasure, Scott. And we've put some more information on the Chief's seven unwritten rules of EMS on our website at code3podcast.com slash rules. Check it out. Now, here comes your trivia question. Reach way back in your training for this one. What's the term for the lowest temperature at which something will burn? The answer, right after this. If you like Code 3, you'll love the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more discussion with our guests on any topic. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's not so serious, but it's only available to patrons of Code 3. Find out what you've been missing. Go to Code3Podcast.com slash support. Pledge just $10 a month to support Code 3, and you'll get immediate access to all the bull sessions in our library and future interviews as we post them. Become a patron today, support the show, and get access to the Code 3 Bull Sessions. Now, here's your trivia answer. The term for the lowest temperature which something will burn is its flashpoint. Remember that one? Of course you did. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com.